Ugh, hate hitting the wall, so do I. I'm talking about a paywall. At Greensboro.com, you don't have to. Get a subscription, either digital only or digital in print, and you'll have full access to all content, including the Running Shorts blog and the Running Shorts show. Look for the green subscribe tab atop Greensboro.com. Hello everybody, I'm Eddie Wooten, the host of The Running Shorts Show, an audio production of the Running Shorts section at greensboro.com slash running shorts. I am joined on the show today by Joe Randini. On Sunday, Joe completed 100 miles of running, 100 miles, in the Allison Woods Halloween Hobble in Statesville. Joe did that in 29 hours, 34 minutes, and 45 seconds. Joe, that sounds awfully painful, but congratulations on that accomplishment, and welcome to the Running Short Show. Oh, thank you, Eddie. All right, first off, uh, tell us a little bit about your about yourself, where you're from, what you do. Yeah, so I'm 47 years old. I'm actually going to be 48 in less than a month, so not bad for someone, I guess, who just tackled their first 100-miler. Uh, um, I was born in the Bronx, New York, but left uh, New York when I was 17. I joined the military and really never went back to live um, up in New York from, from that point forward. We've kind of traveled all throughout the United States and then eventually throughout the, uh, throughout the world. So we got here in Greensboro uh, the first time was 2007 is when we bought our home here and it's the same we still have the same home um, but we did actually have a stint for about six and a half years in in Europe where we lived in Europe so I lived in uh, Florence Italy for six and a half years my wife and kids stayed there uh, the entire time and for about two years I also had an apartment in Posen in Poland while we built a manufacturing plant out in Poland so I've kind of had the opportunity to travel all throughout the world all right, very good. And what brought you back to Greensboro and when did you return? Yeah, so when the assignment was, was over in Europe for the company that I was working for, uh, they brought us back home and they let us uh, kind of come back to, to Greensboro, to the home that we owned here, um, because the job that I was going to have in the United States was going to be traveling throughout the U.S. So there was really no reason for me to, to relocate to the corporate headquarters because I was traveling all the time. And after about a year of being home, I uh, just kind of was at a point with, with my career and my life where I wanted to try something different and I wanted to be around uh, the things that I was really passionate about um, in my personal life. I kind of went through this journey uh, with running and uh, got to a point where I decided to retire early and, and kind of jump into the running community. For me, the key question about what you did over the weekend, why would you want to run 100 miles? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, and, and I think some days I have better answers than, <laughs> than, the, than others. But uh, for me, you know, part of the running journey has been constantly testing um, my limits, you know, putting myself in a position where failure is a real, it's a real outcome and seeing if I can continue to figure out ways to move forward and continue to figure out ways to, to carry on. And, um, and a lot of that kind of comes from, you know, I've met a ton of people and have some people in my family that they deal with issues every day where they're in pain, whether it's, you know, I have a brother-in-law who's got a spinal injury, I have an uncle who's got some kind of a neuropathy, like, a, you know, it's like a nerve disease. 
um, and they figure out how to keep going every day and they can never really stop with their pain they can't put it down I like to say whereas you know I think during these races the one thing even from the very beginning is you know there's an end to it it may be 30 hours from now but if you can continue to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other your pain is going to stop so for me it's been a platform to kind of acknowledge the people in my life that deal with those types of situations and to prove to myself that you know these things are possible that if i was you know ever in that position i'd be able to continue to put one foot in front of the other how about for this race what was involved in the let's start with the training leading up to the race what put you in a position to be able to do this yeah so um during my running journey you know i just kind of would would continue to to take that common sense approach to the progression of my running so it was you know the first race was a 10k and then it was well maybe i could do a half marathon uh, and then i did that and i thought well maybe i could do a marathon uh, and then one day when we were living in florence italy after i had run a marathon um, some local people there basically asked if i had ever run the trails and I didn't even know that was the thing, quite honestly. And uh, they said, oh, we have beautiful trails here. You've, you've got to come up and, and run these trails. And on a Saturday morning, I went out with some local folks and we went out into the woods and ran on these beautiful trails. And we ran up mountains and when things got tough, everybody would, would hike. And you know, we'd get to a, to a point where it was flat and we would run and, and nobody seemed to be looking at their watches or really cared what their splits were or anything like that. And it was just a very different take and feel on the sport compared to the constant looking at your watch and worrying about how fast you're going during a workout um, when you're training for a road race and the beauty uh, of the trails really you know for me it, it, it really kind of touched a nerve it was like I, I told you earlier when we were talking um, you know it's almost cathartic in my opinion to run on the trails and uh, and from there I never looked back and, and kind of once you get on the trails the types of events that are trail events are going to be, you know, half marathon, marathon, ultra marathon, you know, and, and I just continued to progress. So, so I signed up for a 50 kilometer race and, you know, that's about 31 miles, achieved that. Uh, and then the next logical progression was going to be 50 miles. But at that point in time, we came home to the U.S. And when I came home to the U.S., I wanted to find something local and I stumbled across Triple Lakes. Uh, which had a 40 mile option so i signed up to do that 40 mile uh, option and, and got that under my belt last year and at that point it was really a decision between do i do a 50 miler or do i just jump right to the to the 100 miler and uh and i made the decision to just jump right to the to the 100 miler how how hard was that 40 miler for you it was it was tough it was a it, it was really an interesting day because um about mile 31 is the last major aid station and uh i remember you know there there was a gentleman that him and i have become friends now his name is glenn Kreider. but uh i could see you know i was talking to my wife and i was changing my shoes and he was talking to his wife and and he was you know deciding whether or not he was going to get back out on the course basically and during any kind of event the hardest time you know the, that you go through in an ultra event they call it kind of beware of the chair you know don't get too comfy because once you get comfortable it's very easy to say you know no one would ever criticize me for stopping after 31 miles you know and i saw glenn and his wife having this conversation and i told my wife i said you know i need to get up and i need to go talk to that gentleman because i think he's getting ready to to stop you know he was hurting and his wife cares about him and she's telling him you don't need to do this and 
So I got up and walked over and introduced myself and I said, come on, Glenn, you know, I'm Joe, we're, we're going to get out of here. And uh, initially I think I was helping him to kind of finish this race, but then I really started to cramp up quite a bit and he was feeling better and he stayed with me and helped me continue down. So it was like we took turns helping each other continue and Glenn and I basically crossed the, the finish line together. You know, and you're gonna hear stories like that if you, if you talk to people in the ultra community over and over and over again. It's a lot less about beating each other and a lot more about helping people achieve things they didn't think they possibly could, could do. So it was a great day, but it was a hard race. So that was in October of October last year, is that right? last year, correct. So you went from 40 miles in October, in, in, preparing for a 100 miler in October of this year. Correct. We've had a hot summer, yeah. uh, or at least a long summer. I mean, it still feels like summer outside on the day we're recording this. How did your training go yeah. in that time? Yeah, so, you know, in North Carolina, running in the summer, uh, it just means you're going to run in the heat and the humidity, and there's really nothing you can do about it. So, um, it complicates things from the perspective of, you know, hydration and, um, you know, and, and being able to continue with the hard workouts. But what I tell people, and I think this applies for roads as well is when things get you know hot and humid like they do here in the summer you've got to adjust your expectations for your training sessions and start to understand that uh, your body and, and you know people feel well it felt harder today it didn't feel harder it was harder your body you know reacts in a way that it makes it you know it slows you down so you don't hurt yourself your blood thickens because your blood's going to your skin for perspiration and, and all of a sudden your body's still trying to get oxygen to your muscles so your blood pressure increases and all this happens quicker than it normally would on a run and it all happens at a slower pace and running in the summer is harder so so you have to start to think about things like perceived effort you know today you know instead of worrying about speed i'm going to try to run at a seven out of a ten and if a seven out of ten is a slow pace that's okay it's still a really good workout uh, and then you just need to hydrate you know normally i don't take anything with me on like a 10 kilometer run but but when it's 90 degrees and 100 percent humidity i'll take something to drink on a, on a 10 kilometer run so you just got to use your head but all that pays off when the cooler weather comes it really does well and we're actually recording this on uh, october the 10th and a little bit of a wet day but the temperatures are up in the 70s and by the time this will have appeared uh, as a podcast i think the highs will be maybe in the 60s and lows overnight in the 40s so uh, that's weather i know i'm looking forward to and um, I, I bet you may be as well oh, how, how about as far as your uh, uh, fueling and nutrition during a 100 mile race what did you do what did you make work for you yeah so um you, you have to really plan these things out you know logistically and and for my first hundred mile attempt this actually was a really great setup because it was a looped event and what that allowed me to do is to work with my crew and basically have an aid station set up that i could just pass repeatedly throughout the day so you know, the, the, the planning for moving things came out of the equation. We were able to kind of put everything and stay still, which is, you know, very, uh, very nice for your first type of event like this. But when you run these types of distances, you really don't know going in how you're going to react to certain foods. You know, you don't know if you're going to crave salty or you're going to crave sweet or, 
you know, if you're going to even have an appetite and things like that. So you kind of have to eat and drink um, like it's your job. You know, it's, you have to get the calories in. But you also have to have a spectrum of options available because if you really don't feel like eating something, you're probably going to get nauseous if you try to eat it. So we had, you know, um, basically drawers that we, you know, portable drawers that we bought and um, we had a variety of foods from, you know, bananas and energy bars and salted pretzels, potato chips, Oreo cookies, um, bananas, you know, it, we, we had healthy food, junk food, you know, we had anything that we thought we might need. We, we even brought uh, soup and uh, we had like a portable propane gas you know grill that you could basically heat you know make a grilled cheese and things like that so we had all these options but part of running these distances is you've also got to be flexible and and what happened during the race was um, the sun came out and it became about 85 degrees and it was about 100 percent humidity and my appetite was really narrowed down to I was eating dates and eating bananas and for the longest time, that's really all that I wanted. So every loop, you know, I'd run through, I'd grab a half a banana or a couple of dates. Uh, and it got to a point where, you know, I was having kidney problems pretty early in the race because I wasn't able to go to the bathroom for the first, you know, five or six hours. So I cut out electrolytes and went to just water. So completely had to change the nutrition plan on the fly because we didn't anticipate that kind of temperature and that kind of weather and and we got my kidneys functioning again and started to, to go to the bathroom regularly uh, and then I never really felt the urge to go back to electrolytes so I stayed with you know water it, it's it's you know it's just one of those those things so some of the things that got sprinkled in uh, in the middle of the night I did have the urge to eat a couple of Oreo cookies and, and they were the nice. best Oreos of my life <laughs> and uh, in the morning I ran by an aid station and they had bacon and I actually smelled the bacon and uh you know stopped and said can i please have some bacon and they gave me a few slices of bacon and it was the best bacon of my life you got all the good stuff yeah what kind of oreos uh just regular oreos. chocolate yeah all right. but it was amazing good yeah, it was i can't explain it to you but when you're running 100 miles and you suddenly have something that tastes good to you it was like it could have been a hundred dollar steak it was delicious <laughs> you ran this race and you had a cause that was very important Yep. to you tell us about that yeah so i mean for me running is is a platform and, and by that what i mean is you plug yourself into a community and you know you have a lot of access to a lot of different people who are doing a lot of different things in their life so so running brings a diverse community together and i use that as an opportunity to try to raise attention to things that i think are important and uh, some of that is funding and raising money for these causes and, and some of it is just to raise awareness this year what i've been focused on is has been bullying and i work with a gentleman out of california named tyron jackson he was a uh, grew up homeless and was bullied and picked on and he actually uh, created an organization called Operation Warm Wishes, um, which helps people that are being bullied and, and people that are homeless get back on their feet. And, you know, when I talked to him about running for the cause and, and what his organization brought to the table, the way he could relate to, to the situations that a lot of these children are going through is what drew me to, to Tyron. It, it was just, um, he had come from such a similar experience as these kids 
that it made it very easy for me to work with him. So Hay and I discussed this year, let's try to get people using a hashtag called OWW, Operation Warm Wishes, run against bullying and try to accumulate 100,000 miles, you know, to, to symbolize 100,000 children that are bullied each year, you know, and we can use that to raise awareness. And, and I try to use it to raise some funding uh, you know, for Operation Warm Wishes as well, because a lot of the things he does, whether it's food banks or putting families into hotels and things like that, it costs money, you know, so, you know, uh, we definitely do try to raise, you know, funding for that, uh, for that cause. But more importantly, I think is how many people in the community are starting to use the hashtag, the miles we've accumulated, we're up to about 25,000 miles now, and the conversations that are having. You know, when people are, are reaching out to us and saying, you know, I have a, a neighbor that the kid was bullied, or I have a nephew that's been bullied, you know, and people reach out to these children and basically say, you know, I'm running this 100 mile race and I'm gonna think about you and I'm gonna do this for you. And I think it gives, you know, these kids a little bit of, uh, you know, credibility and something to hold on to, you know, because some of the things that get said and done, um, and particularly because of social media and the internet and hiding behind that keyboard, you know, um, it, it's really vicious and it, and it does lead to, you know, depression, it leads to suicidal thoughts, it leads to violence, it leads to drug addiction. So, you know, I just don't see anything good that comes out of being, you know, terrible to each other. And I think using the platform of running in that community to kind of spread that message in word and just try to make the world a little bit better it's it's the least i can do to kind of give back for everything i've taken from the community you know and, and running it's it's changed my life so you mentioned the hashtag how could people find out more about uh, yeah, so the organization. If, if you obviously Operation Warm Wishes has a website, so if you go on to the internet and look up uh, Operation Warm Wishes, um, you'll find uh, Tyron and, and, and his uh, organization there uh, on the internet. The hashtag, we use the hashtag OWW Run Against Bullying. Uh, on Instagram and on Facebook and if you look at that hashtag and look at the posts you'll see all these runners and hikers that are putting their you know mileages from their Garmin or Strava account up and putting the hashtag out there and you'll also if you read through the comments see some of the discussions around you know the, the people that are uh, either dealing with being bullied or, or know someone who's been bullied and, and you know those conversations I think are positive because the community supports each other from a financial perspective if you go on my blog which is joerandini.com um, we have a virtual 5k you can sign up for so you know for $60 uh, and right now we actually have the cancer awareness campaign hat so it's a hat and a medal that's the virtual 5k that's on sale for $40 um, we'll mail you a machine hat uh, we'll mail you the medal you go out and do five kilometers and you use the hashtag and five dollars from every entry goes to operation warm wishes to help fund you know the work we're doing for you know standing up to, against bullying all right very good and for listeners who might have picked up this podcast uh Outside of the Running Shorts blog, you'll be able to find links to all of all of these sites that Joe has mentioned at greensboro.com slash running shorts. You've not been back to Greensboro long, but you are gaining a good foothold, if you will, in our community and and you've got some interest particularly in seeing trail running grow here in yeah. the triad. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know, I've been a firm believer in, in uh, you know, you grind every day. So uh, when I got home, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't very long before my wife and I had the conversation around, you know, we felt like we were in a position that we could retire early and that I could kind of start to try to build my life a little bit more around my hobby and my passion, which was running and helping people. And um, through my blog, I kind of I kind of reached out to a guy named Mike Clark, who's a local guy who runs a company called Junction 311. And um, they put on a lot of events here locally, uh, both trail and, and road. And I just said to Mike, you know, I've been writing on my blog, go check out some of my work, um, but I'm a trail guy and I'd like to kind of write for your periodical and, and I'll offer up my services and, and try to educate people on trails and um, give people information on trail running. And Mike had me submit an article. He looked at it and he said, yes, it looks good. I'm going to put it in, uh, in my periodical. Um, I let him know I was going to run Triple Lakes, which is, you know, was a, is a Junction 311 race. And um, went out and ran the race and, and met Mike face to face and just kind of developed a friendship with Mike. And, uh, and Mike came and talked to me and just said, you know, you, you know, I'm not a trail guy, Joe, you, you're a trail guy and, and I've got these trail races and, and they're really good popular races in the local community. So it's Triple Lakes, uh, Run at the Rock, which is in December out at Cedar Rock Park in Burlington. And then Owl's Roost Rumble, which is kind of a local favorite. It's a, a half marathon that's run through Burnmill Park and finishes up on Owl's Roost. And he said, you know, would you be interested in taking over as race director? Because I think someone with trail running experience and, and passionate about trails um, really can bring something to the table. So, you know, I thought it was just a great opportunity and I, I jumped on that because, you know, what better way to kind of plug into the community um, than become a race director for some of the local trail events. And, um, and I can tell you being on the other side of that, so just like this weekend when, when I finished my race and fell into the race director's arm as he was giving me my <laughs> buckle, being able to offer people a, a forum to test themselves and to find out about themselves and be a part of that journey with them where, where they accomplish something and, and really, you know, it changes people's lives when they, when they run these types of events. To be on that side of it and give them that medal and that hug at the end of it, it you get more out of it than they probably get out of the event. And uh, so I didn't see any negative to, to taking over these events and, and to, to learning. And, that, and that's the thing is I'm, I'm going to learn. I'm a, a brand new baby race director and I've got a lot to learn, but Mike's really been supportive and um, I just want to make our events events that people want to come to again and again and feel like they're part of our community and, and you know, I want to see them grow. I want to see trail running in the Piedmont area grow. Now you mentioned changing their lives. Running has changed your life and in a big way. Tell us a little bit about your running background, how you got into it and what has happened to you yeah. in terms of transformation. Yeah, so when we were living in Europe, um, you know, being an executive, you kind of, you're traveling a lot and you're eating out a lot and uh, you're, you're probably not exercising nearly as much as you need to. And uh, I had ballooned up to about 330 pounds. And one morning I woke up and-, and, this, and this was what year? This was four and a half years ago. So we're probably talking 2014 or so. Okay. Um, and uh, woke up, it was a very early in the morning, about four o'clock. Uh, I had to go on a trip that day and catch an early flight. And uh, I, I remember what the trigger was, was I couldn't button the shirt. 
So I was putting on a shirt and I was struggling to get the buttons buttoned. And I just kind of had this lightning flash of a moment where it was like, you know, you've got this great life and great family and uh, you're killing yourself. You're, you're stressed, you're overweight, you're not taking care of yourself. The doctor had been on me about losing weight. You know, my blood pressure was kind of borderline high blood pressure, um, borderline diabetic, you know, all these different diseases were at the doorstep, so to speak, you know, um, and I was just heading completely down the wrong path. And I said, I got to change something and, and I've got to change it immediately. So I literally grabbed a pair of running shoes, threw them in the bag and went off to, to my business trip to France. And that night I went for, for my first run and, and got about a hundred feet and couldn't breathe and couldn't move and went back to the, to the hotel room and Googled like, how do you run if you haven't run and you know, that kind of stuff. And so uh, 100 feet, you just did a hundred miles this weekend, 100 feet. Four years ago, a hundred feet was almost impossible. And, uh, and yeah, Sunday was a hundred miles. So Googling all that information, basically a couch to 5k type of a thing had popped up and, and I didn't even know what that was at the time, but I read through the little program and basically, you know, very humbling, but it was, you know, go walk really fast for five minutes and then run for 30 seconds and then walk really fast. And then, you know, week two is, you know, the intervals will get a little longer. And, and, um, and I did, I just sucked it up and, and started doing that and stuck to the program. And, you know, before long, I was able to kind of trudge along for 25, 30 minutes. And a buddy of mine in Manchester, uh, England, that, you know, he's like a brother to me now, basically encouraged me, you know, why don't you sign up for a 10K race and give yourself a little bit of accountability. Having something out there that you're gonna do is, is gonna hold you accountable. So I signed up for that race and a few months later, you know, we, we kind of towed the line there in Manchester and ran that 10K together. And um, at that point I probably was down, you know, maybe 80 pounds, 70 pounds but you could just kind of feel all the dominoes falling in place the more i moved the better i felt the the weight started to come off my relationship with food changed because i started to look at it more like fuel than than just comfort and eating so what i was eating was, was changing quite a bit um, alcohol was a big thing I, I drank a lot even during the week because i was always traveling and a lot of that stopped because if you've got to wake up and run four or five miles in the morning, you, you know, you don't want to go out and drink. And uh, it was a virtuous circle. You know, the weight came off, I moved faster, I moved more. The weight came off, I moved faster, I moved more. And I just kind of progressed, you know. Well, I, I did a 10K, can I do a half? You know, I did a half, can I do a full? You know, it, it completely changed my life, you know, even to the point where, you know, the doctor started questioning me about was I taking steroids and, you know, what was I doing because my resting heart rate was, you know, 44 and things like that. But, you know, at the end of it all, once I convinced her that, you know, I was in fact just doing things naturally, um, she was amazed at, you know, where my heart, my blood pressure was, where my cholesterol was, where my, you know, blood sugar was. And, um, I'm convinced that people don't give a healthy lifestyle enough of an opportunity. Outside of running, and obviously that's very important to you, what are some of the other things in life that take up your time or things yeah. you like to do? So I do have five, five kids. Um, they're grown. And the youngest two are off at university right now. You know, and, and my wife joke around, but you know, we're kind of dating again because the kids are gone and it's just, it's just her and I. But honestly, it's, it's mostly family and, and then trying to, to do things 
you know, to kind of contribute to, to the community. You know, that's, that's, those are the things that I'm passionate about and that I like to do. So it's, you know, I like to spend time with my wife. I like to, to you know, basically kind of get to know her again. There's this relationship we have that we forgot about, you know, when you're, when you're a parent for so long, you know, everything you do seems to be about your, your children um, and as it should be. You know, but as they grow older and you kind of get this time back and, and you can kind of look into each other again and, and, and talk a little bit, you kind of realize that there was these people before all of this that you were. And it's kind of cool to get all that, to get all that back. We decided to stay here in, in Greensboro. Um, so we've built an extension out to our house, you know, and uh, I do enjoy barbecue. It's probably my number one guilty pleasure is, is you know to, to smoke meat so pork butt and all the typical you know North Carolinian barbecue type things and uh, we're glad to hear that <laughs> yeah yeah so we built a, a nice backyard where we can entertain people and cook and grill out and do things like that so I'm pretty much a pretty simple straightforward guy you know I, I enjoy spending time with my, my family I enjoy spending time with my friends and honestly I value experiences over over stuff you have served the United States, thank you for that service. Tell us a little You're bit welcome. about your military background. Yeah, so, you know, the way, the way that I grew up, I didn't really see a lot of opportunity to, to go to school, you know, after high school. And I needed kind of an answer for, for that. Um, so for me, when I was 17, the, the answer became the military. I had uh, uncles and my grandfather and people in, in my family that had uh, served in the military and they all kind of gave me the same advice in regards to it's a great way to get an education and it'll also teach you how to be a good adult you know get up and be on time and you know do the job and do it right and those types of things and uh, so for me it was kind of a way uh, an answer you know a way to to get an education so I went and took the the test for the various branches of the military and the Navy uh, came back and basically said hey you qualified for a program called nuclear you know uh, power school which is basically a lot of the uh, ships in the United States Navy, whether they're uh, aircraft carriers, submarines, things like that, they're driven by a nuclear reactor. You know, the propulsion and the electricity and all that is derived from, you know, nuclear reactor. And they need people who can not only operate those reactors, but who can do maintenance on all the equipment that impact those reactors. So, you know, I thought if I'm going to go and try to get an education out of this, then I might as well go with the the most technical thing I could qualify for. So went through the nuclear um, engineering program in the United States Navy, uh, and then I went and served on a fast tech submarine out of Norfolk, Virginia. Where did, where did the Navy take you that, during your time? This will show you, so I'm not a very smart person, obviously, if I just ran 100 miles. So, <laughs> so I signed up and went to boot camp in Orlando, Florida in July. Good. And uh, that was warm, it was very, very warm. <laughs> But, you know, we got in a really good physical shape doing eight weeks of boot camp in, in July in Orlando. And, uh, and then our first series of school was actually right there in Orlando, Florida. My prototype, which is basically your practical practice on a real reactor, uh, was up in a place called Boston Spa, New York. It was up in northern New York near Saratoga Springs. Um, went up there and graduated first in my um, prototype class. So I wasn't 
very good at the book stuff. I, I kind of got by and, and I qualified, but wasn't blowing anybody's lights out. But what I learned about myself uh, at Prototype was when the lights were going out and the sirens were blaring and things like that, I had this ability to block it all out and do the right things. So even though I didn't always have the right equations or, or the right answers for the theoretical, when the practical came into play, I was one of the best students. And, and what that gained me was graduating first at Prototype, I could choose whether or not I wanted to go out to sea or if I wanted to stay and teach. So I actually got to stay in New York for an extra two years teaching because I graduated first in, in my class at Prototype. So I did that. And then after that, I was transferred to uh, Norfolk, Virginia, where I was on a fast attack submarine, the USS Key West, uh, for two years. And that's where I met my, my beautiful wife. And, you know, and her name is? Mary. Yeah. Yep. So, so I met Mary in, in Virginia Beach um, you know, while I was in the uh, military on a fast attack submarine. And, uh, and then when it was time to get out of the military, um, we took a job with a company called Unilever making bar soap, Dove Bar Soap. Um, because the chemical background, the, the nuclear engineering program had provided, it allowed us to kind of uh, get a job with a, a chemical company. And uh, we ended up moving to Indiana, right outside of Chicago, a little town called Hammond, uh, Indiana. And we stayed up there for five and a half years. Uh, then we were in Connecticut for a little bit, uh, again with Unilever. Uh, and then in Pinehurst, North Carolina. So there was a plant. Good place to be. It was a wonderful place. And uh, the plant there was in Rayford, North Carolina. And this was all with, with Unilever doing these kind of production management jobs. Uh, and then I transferred, or didn't transfer, I, I left that company and worked for a company called Sherwin Williams, the paint company. Um, and we moved to Rockford, Illinois. Um, we were there for only 11 and a half months or so. And then we came to Greensboro. And, and then from Greensboro was Europe and, and all that stuff. So we've really been fortunate and have moved pretty much throughout the U.S. and then moved, you know, throughout, you know, Europe. You've had a lot of different life experiences. What have you learned about yourself through running? <laughs> what I what I think the biggest takeaway I think I, I, I learned from running, and and I hope it's something that other people who take up the sport really figure out quickly is, if you do the work, you'll you'll get the result. And the thing about running that's really a blessing and a curse is that you know when you've done the work and you see the result and you know when the result's not there that you can look back and you pretty much found out you didn't do the work and and and, and you know it there's no way to trick yourself so i think the thing that i like about running is that direct link between doing the work and getting the result um, and I think that applies to a lot of things in life if, if you want to do well in academics you got to study and if you don't study you're not probably going to do very well in academics and, and I'm sure there's always people who can point to an exception but most of the general population there's that direct link between what you know what you do in the process and, and then where you get the outcome um, and then the next thing is when you're testing your limits you know, just like the race this weekend, you know, if you can f figure out a way to continue to go forward when things seem at their most difficult, you're always gonna have a chance to be okay. And, and I think that's another great 
kind of analogy for life is that people are throwing all sorts of crazy things, whether it's cancer or an accident or, you know, even, you know, a divorce or something, you know, you have to figure out how to keep going and, and move forward in a difficult situation and it'll get better, you know, and, and people, I think every day, I've had so many people this past weekend reach out to me and tell me how amazed they are. And they're people that have terminal cancer. You know, a friend of mine who has multiple myeloma reached out and called me a beast and told me he's amazed. And I'm like, dude, you're dying, you know, and, and you run and you do these things. You're more amazing than I am. And, um, you know, I think, I think that those are the type of people that, you know, if you surround yourself with those type of people, you're, you're probably in pretty good company. You're, you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> you're three days past this 100 mile run. Maybe it's not too soon. What are you going to do next? <laughs> that is a great question. You know, it's funny because we got home and my wife started looking at ultra marathons, which I thought was hilarious. So I was, I had my legs up and I'm just trying to recover. And uh, she's talking about, you know, in Colorado they have an ultra marathon, and you know, so. I think, you know, Western States is the Mecca for me. It's, it's a, it's a hundred mile race in California that starts in the mountains and, and you run down into a valley and then you run up another mountain basically. And, um, after doing this race though, I had, again, you know, this direct link between process and result, I realized I'm not ready, you know? So I've got a lot of work to do in between now and actually trying to get my lottery tickets going to apply for this race that I really want to do. So I think what's next for me is I need to evaluate everything that we did this year, you know, and, and take a good, honest look at how good of a process I followed. Because there were some unexpected things this weekend for sure, the heat being the biggest one and what the impact of that was on my pace and on my ability to continue to move forward, I, I won't know. I, I just know it was a difficult race. But I think there's definitely opportunities for me to improve the way I prepared. So I think I need to kind of evaluate all those things and then look at the qualifying races for Western States next year and make sure that I see the necessary gains that I got the call a year from now to go to Western States, that I had to give myself a fair opportunity. And the reason I say that is these things have very limited uh, entries. And when you get one, in my opinion, if you're not prepared to give yourself an opportunity, and it doesn't mean you won't fail, people fail, you know, but I wanna go out there with a real legitimate shot of utilizing that slot effectively rather than taking it from someone who, who might have been better prepared than myself. So I think it's important to, to have the integrity to yourself and to the sport um, to make sure you're prepared. So, so I think what's next for me is, is evaluate and write a good training plan for next year and, and get a qualifying race, probably with more vertical climbing than this one, you know, and, and start to prepare for Western States. Is there anything else you'd like to add or is that I had asked you today? No, I mean, uh, you know, we, you and I had talked earlier uh, about this, but I, you know, I think the number one thing with, with, the sport uh, and I actually received an interesting email yesterday from a gentleman that I met uh, while I was working in Poland he is an Irish guy that uh, he was a salesman for Sherwin-Williams and uh, he met me in Poland and I told him my story and, and he basically 
you know, I, I can't run because of my knees and, and I can't run because, you know, I'm overweight and I can, you know. And uh, the email I got from him yesterday was that basically he got talked into starting to run and that he's lost a bunch of weight and that he's getting ready to run his first half marathon. And I think an important message for, for people in regards to our sport would be, you know, it's not easy, but I'm not sure many things in life that are really worth it are easy. But don't sell yourself short. Um, there is probably a lot more benefit in you getting up and moving and moving forward and doing what you can do. And, and don't, you know, don't think about someone like me talking who just ran 100 miles. Think about the guy who couldn't run 100 feet. And uh, there's more benefit in getting up and moving and challenging yourself than there is in finding reasons not to. You know, I don't think you'll regret it. I can tell you this, not every run that I've ever started I wanted to actually start, but I've never felt bad at the end of any run. I've always felt better than when I started. That's excellent. Joe Randini, you have a terrific perspective on life and on running, and on behalf of the running community, I thank you for the contributions that you're, you've already made here in your short time back in Greensboro and, and as a runner here, but uh, we'll look forward to more of that and supporting you and what you're uh, doing as well. So thank you for taking time to join me on the Running Short Show today. No, I truly appreciate it, Eddie. And listeners, thank you for your time as well. A reminder that you can find more information about running in the triad at greensboro.com slash running shorts. You can also subscribe to the Running Short Show in iTunes and Google Play. Until next time, I hope your runs are great ones. <laughs>